Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast. We take a step back from the 1% marginal gains that society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. Throughout this series, we will discuss all things related to self-actualization and becoming the very best possible version of yourself. I am your co-host, Tom Osmond, as always, joined by George Cook. We are on episode number... I think it's 52 now. 52. And in today's episode, we're going to be moving on to the second part in our sleep series. Yeah, it's quite tough, actually. I'm exhausted. I don't know about you. Um, I'm I'm ready for some sleep, actually. So I'm glad we're talking about this today. Are you? Oh, it's actually episode 54. I've done a citizen. Uh, episode 54. I'm sure the viewers don't mind. <laughs> um, before we dive into today's topic, how's your week been? It's been a... A pretty good one, actually. Um, I had my medical done for the channel swim um, and I was quite anxious. Yeah, I did. I was quite anxious about it. Um, One of the other uh, members, um, not of of my team, but of a different team, uh, had theirs and they ended up passing it, but they had to go and get a load of other tests because they found out about something that they didn't know about uh, with their heart. And I thought, oh, Christ, like, what if I've got something wrong with my heart and and I failed? And, and whatever um so no past that so that's i don't know made it a little bit more real i think that it's actually happening so yeah um been a good week that's a highlight uh, it's nearly the easter holidays as well so kind of just chugging away until we can get to that next week when are you doing the channels from again not till june but there's you've got to do the assessment swim first and you can't do so, the assessment swim till you've done the medical so it's only three months away yeah, it's actually not that far, and I've managed to get a nice shoulder impingement at the moment, so um, training's going nicely. <laughs> <laughs> I might actually come, oh, you can't really come and watch that, can you? I was going to come down and watch it, but I'll have to go to France. Yeah, you can see us off, I suppose. Yeah, I might come and see you off, because I'm going to be off work in June. Yeah, and then you can pick me up on the way back, that'd be great, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else has been going on? Yeah, I mean, I've been enjoying the research for what we're going to talk about today, but we'll come that come to that in a little bit. Um, I think just trying to be aware of putting a few of these lessons into practice personally. Um, it's been quite full on over the last couple of weeks that we, we've sort of chatted about off air. So um, just trying to manage lots of different things and, and manage those levels in kind of professional and a personal capacity. Um, but obviously not as big a change as, as you've had recently. Yeah, I can finally tell everyone now. Yeah, um, get out there. Because everyone got told at work today, but I'm leaving my job at Man City. Um, which is quite a hard decision to make, but I've considered leaving the strength and conditioning industry for a few times, probably four or five times now. Um, so yeah, finally taking that step in, moving into a different industry. More, more, more than likely going to move into a different industry. Yeah, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, and we can probably tell, like, I've moved most of my stuff out of Manchester now, so I've not got my desk or anything today. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, like, it was quite it was quite emotional work today. Like, all, all the girls and staff are quite sad on me, even, but uh, I think it's what's best for me. Yeah, and I think sometimes you'd have to, to rip the band-aid off to steal the expression and, and take the plunge, don't you? So it's not an easy decision. We had that great episode with Paul McEwen where he spoke about being able to quit jobs and have the confidence to do it. And when you're in something and you have, I guess, in the current climate, you know, you've got a job and you've got a roof over your head and food on the table, to, to step away from that is quite a big call, isn't it? Yeah. And well, like we were just consider well, like we were just talking about, I'm considering a few different a few different different options, but 
the most yeah the most likely one will be going into um finance instead of working as an snc coach but um until i figure out what i'm gonna do i'm gonna personal train for a bit um and i've got a few uh, job interviews and stuff coming up yeah nice well we look forward to hearing about those on here yeah i'm crap at interviews so <laughs> hopefully they go all right <laughs> i actually saw an interview joke the other day um you'll like this one uh it was the interviewer said to the interviewee can you perform under pressure and the interviewee said, no, but I can give Bohemian Rhapsody a go. <laughs> it's a very bad joke, isn't it? Yeah, obviously I loved it. <laughs> oh, um, we're, um, we're part two sleep today, aren't we, of our, our four-part series. Um, I actually think we can make it a 44-part series. There's, there's so much on this topic. And the more I read about it, the more I read around it, um, just kind of the bigger it gets it's such an unbelievable beast of a topic so i hope that we're i think my my goal for this series is that we can condense this into some manageable kind of information and and give some real practical tips as to what what the benefits are what the risks are um, and how you can kind of manage that because as soon as you go into this topic it's an absolute rabbit warren times 10 it's just so gigantic um but today sort of focused on a bit more on memory um physical skill development um tiredness versus alcohol so this is something i've been quite interested in before um sexual desire and human reproduction and the immune system right quite a bit to cover today yeah you say that like i think we can get through it um i think we'll manage it like the memory stuff um just kind of ties in a little bit with the the motor skill element of this so um in terms of just a quick recap we had two main phases of sleep we had our nrem and rem um so sorry they sound quite similar but nrem is what we would normally consider to be deep sleep where we have these long rhythmical uh, brain waves that kind of go through the whole brain and they're linked more closely with uh, memory whereas REM sleep is often well new research suggests that it's more important for us it comes later in our sleep cycles uh, people that undersleep tend to miss their REM sleep the most because we wake up earlier uh, which is when the REM sleep is is going to kick in. Um, and that is more about creativity, social interaction, um, and it, it is linked to kind of the development of the human race as a whole um, since we became, I don't, I don't know what the actual term is, but since we came down from the trees and started living um, on the ground, that's been our our main driver for, for social uh, kind of growth. Yeah. I'll tell you what I have noticed about my sleep, which you mentioned in the last episode, is the... I think you mentioned it. We sleep in like 90 minute chunks, don't we? Yeah. Well, and, we'll take, yeah. And I, I found myself waking up after about seven, seven and a half hours and then not going back to sleep has been much, much better for me. Yeah. Um, the, we will come to kind of timings of sleep and napping in a little bit more detail, but you're absolutely right. And in, in terms of when you wake up and stuff, you can feel particularly groggy or you can feel fantastic depending on which stage of sleep you're in. Um, and you know with the napping side of things when we spoke about driving um, if you have a nap you then need to give yourself an hour after that to kind of fully wake up and get up from that kind of sleep state uh, for your brain to fully get going so you know it is very uh, cycle dependent um, that side of sleep yeah for sure 
Um, but just a, a little bit on the or sort of the last bit of the memory because episode one on this was quite a bit on memory. But um, uh, a, a, I think a woman, maybe a bloke, Lorette Crick, um, was looking at DNA and then switched over to think about sleep. And in terms of memory, we've often thought of NRAM as our ability to cement learning and to uh, bring these ideas and, and new information that we've brought and filter it and, and to cement that in our long-term memory but actually um REM sleep and the dreaming was getting rid of what he referred to or she ref they referred to as parasitic memories so ones that are just unnecessary and we don't need them so in this REM sleep that the brain waves very closely mimic our, our wake brain state they they get rid of unwanted information and I, I thought that was really interesting that it isn't just about retention it's also about this kind of cleaning out process of just useless useless stuff that we don't need I said, and how do you yeah i don't know where i'm going to go with that question but how do you <laughs> how does your yeah. brain know what's important and what's not important yeah see it's difficult. They they did the study based around um, like photo cards and words and how people made associations between um, correct photos shown and like verbal uh, information. So if the verbal information matched what was in the photo, then they were able to remember they were able to remember that more closely than they were the kind of misinformation that they were fed. Right. As I say that, I realise that this is a good opportunity to have a go at social media again, like with misinformation now, because it's so prevalent, I guess those people were aware that they were being tested, whereas we we don't necessarily know that what we're reading is misinformation. So we might retain misinformation by mistake and just trick our brains into that. So potentially that has a, an impact on, on memory. Yeah, it's so difficult with social media today, like, I was listening to one podcast where they were talking about something related to trying to lose stubborn body fat parts. Yeah. So there's this this ingredient related to sleep build build on your point about social media. But this guy was talking about if you do high intensity interval training, it mobilizes fat from those more difficult parts. And if you follow that up with steady state, that's like one way where you can theoretically um get rid of stubborn body fat stubborn body fat and i asked my nutritionist about it and she was like oh, i'm not convinced at all no um so yeah there's so much misinformation out there and where you like people you can follow that you can actually trust is really rare now i think i follow two or three people in the fitness space now yeah so at the other 99 percent on instagram that's where you can get your genuine information from yeah yeah give them a follow they're quite good um so sort of moving on slightly from memory into this this physical space and how it impacts physical performance and there was a longitudinal study done on olympic athletes over the course of a four-year program and you're saying bolt was one of them and they looked at his napping habits and stuff um, but i want to go a little bit further into to actual sleep because as as great as napping might be and the potential it may or may not have i don't think it's particularly realistic for a lot of people I can't just walk out in the middle of the day and be like, I'm, I'm just off for a half an hour nap because I've got a build-up of adenosine in my brain. Sorry about that. Like, it, it just doesn't work like that. So I think the main focus needs to be on our, our sleep health and our sleep habits around our main sleep overnight. Um, so people who sleep less than eight hours 
uh, and there was a marked drop again for people at six hours. Um, time to physical exhaustion during uh, pre-prescribed exercise dropped by 10 to 30 percent. So if you think that you're someone who can run for an hour, if you start sleeping consistently less than eight or even six hours, um, you could, in theory, be losing 30% of that exercise time uh, and therefore um, only able to exercise for, for 40 minutes, which I think is it's a bit of a mind-blowing statistic, really. Um, and then even with that, so the time you are exercising for, the the ability that you have in your cardiovascular system is reduced. So you've got a faster lactate buildup, um, not lactic acid, but lactate, uh, reduction in blood, blood oxygen saturation. Um, and obviously that, that comes with an increase in, in blood carbon dioxide um, because your lungs aren't able to respire as well. So there's this huge knock-on effect for, for exercise and for training. And, you know, sometimes you do have sessions where you just feel absolutely crap um, and actually sleep. It is a real part of that, and there's a physiological um, kind of data to back that up. So it's not just anecdotal evidence. It is 100% um, rooted in in the scientific finding. Yeah, and that was above or below eight hours? Uh, yeah, so eight hours was the first one, and then there was a, another drop at six hours. So between six and eight, they said, was quite similar. Okay. Uh, but the drop, the first drop came at eight, and then the second big drop came at six. Six, yeah. Yeah, um, I think this is a bit of a side note. I think there's a bit of a stigma about like who can sleep the least and who can work the most and be up early and rise and shine and rise and grind and all that sort of stuff. Actually, since going into the research, I've tried to sleep as much as I possibly can. Um, and I've, I've been tracking it on my whoop and I reckon I've managed to get about 25 minutes extra a night average um, since paying like constant um, or definite attention to it so it can be done i would say they have a relatively busy lifestyle um so yeah but you know it's certainly something that everyone can achieve we, we just we, need to we, give it a bit of time yeah because i think we were pretty similar on we weren't we like seven ish hours per night on average yeah, yeah i was 701 for the last four months seven hours and a minute average so um, you up to like seven and a half yeah, but obviously on the weekends it's significantly longer, and, and we'll touch on that in a bit about how you don't you don't recoup those benefits by having long nights of sleep following a period following a period of, of like. So it is about consistency. You, there are obviously benefits of getting it back, and you do get it back to an extent, but you don't get the full benefit um, and full brain health returned and restored just because you've had a lion on a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah, yeah. one thing I was just thinking about. I don't know. If anyone else ever feels like this or if you've you feel like this but waking up early i almost feel a bit guilty if i have a line so i feel like i should be up and doing something yeah yeah I completely agree um i think that's a societal norm isn't it that we feel like we're we're wasting time or we're disengaged and i think it there's probably a an association between people who maybe don't have that much going on and aren't that motivated in other areas of their life probably do spend an extended time in bed uh, or watching TV or something like that. So, you know, I think we need to, to try and move past that and, and accept the fact that sleep, and we'll come to the, the immune response later, it's just so closely linked to so many psychiatric disorders, health conditions that, I mean, it's free to do. We, you know, we spend so much on treatment every year and we can treat ourselves by sleeping well. Yeah. 
Um, there was a, an incredible uh, bit in this book, and I think it really brings to light just how important this is, and, and I can't advocate for it strongly enough, that the Guinness World Book of Records has stopped recognising attempts to break the sleep deprivation world record. So you, you cannot set a world record in the most time to be awake. So they've deemed it acceptable to go up in a hot air balloon to 128,000 feet, uh, wearing a spacesuit and jump out, uh, free fall speed of 140, 843 miles an hour, passing through the sound barrier, uh, creating a sonic boom with just a body. But the risks associated with sleep de deprivation are too great. So we're happy for a person to, to break the sound barrier, but we're not happy for them to try and sleep to deprive themselves to that yeah, extent. Yeah. yeah. One of the stats I always remember from this book, I can't remember the stat, but it was something like, whenever the clocks change and people end up with an hour less in bed, the death rate increases. Yeah, so that, that comes into it to do with heart attacks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's massive. Um, Cardi the, yeah, I can't remember what the percentage was, but it was significant. I have got it written down at the bottom of the notes, but we will come to it because it then flips over when you get the hour of sleep in terms yeah. of hospital emissions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to touch on the alcohol side of things because I don't really know what my recommendation is for this because if you work long hours and, you know, that, that can be anything, um, but if you've been up all night with your, your young child or, or you're ill or your partner or something like that, and you're sleep deprived. If you um, if you drink to the point where you've got a 0.08 blood alcohol level, and I don't know how much alcohol that is, but that's the legal driving limit in Australia, so the top end. So you're legally drunk beyond that point. Yeah. If you are awake for uh, 15 hours to 19 hours, and particularly uh, big at 19 hours, um, you are as cognitively as impaired as a person who is legally drunk. Yeah. So if you wake up at seven, seven o'clock in the morning and then you go out and socialise and you drive home at like 11 p.m., yeah, you are as cognitively impaired as if you were drunk. Yeah, incredible. Um, but only the legal limit is, what, two, two pints? I, I actually couldn't tell you. I... It's, yes. some, it's, some, it's something like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. um, I think it's very different for different people, isn't it, depending on like body mass and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's incredible, and, and you start to see this nosedive in performance at just 15 hours. So for 7 a.m. wake up and then 10 p.m., all of a sudden you're, you're really struggling. And we spoke about it with the napping uh, thing in the last episode where you've got pilots on long-haul flights who are awake for that extended period of time, and then you're asking them to land. A plane while they have the cognitive ability of somebody who's half cut um so you know it's, it's a it's a really interesting debate um but what was interesting was when they compared the fatigue group and the drunk group the um they did this like light reaction test i'm moving my hands around as if people can see yeah. me but can't um, <laughs> so the, the light goes on and you hit the light and then it times how long it takes you to do that and that gives you reaction time um what they found was that when the people were in, in both groups, drunk versus sleep deprived, versus, and then they had a control group as well, they they didn't struggle in terms of the time it took them to react. The, the data 
differences came from completely missing lights being on. So they weren't slower when they saw them, but they actually had um, micro sleeps. So their brain basically shut off for a, a short period of time. And they just um, didn't see the light at all. They just didn't do it and didn't respond. So when they were responding, they were responding as as close to a control yeah. person, but there were these these lapses. And if you think when you're driving at, I don't know, 60 miles an hour for a new lapse, what's that, a mile a minute, a new lapse of 15 seconds, you've gone a quarter of a mile without like being in control of your vehicle yeah. at 60 miles an hour. I personally think that's an incredibly scary stat. Um, and I definitely will will take note of that with driving because no one's ever spelled it out like that before. You know, there's all these governments um, don't drink and drive, don't drink and use drugs, etc. And, you know, of course, they make sense. But there's also there's no information on don't drink, uh, don't drink, don't drive when you're tired. Yeah, they, they put those signs up, don't they? But it's, yeah. Like, there's not a huge amount, is there? Uh, I, I was just thinking, it's a hot, when you're that tired and you just want to get home, it's like the hardest thing to do in the world to stop. But yeah, that's what we should be doing. And when you're, when if you slept for just four hours, so there was no data collected at different time periods, but four hours of sleep, you are 11 and a half times more likely to be in a car accident. Like, that's, that's scary. Um, yeah, really quite scary. Um, and that that links quite closely to, to the circadian rhythm thing that we've been talking about as well, our, our body's natural clock that lasts about 16 hours. Yeah. You know, th- there is a, a decline in, in lots of our physiological um, and psychological performances after a 16-hour period in particular because we need that eight hours of sleep. So I think if I were to give a recommendation based on this research, I would I would take that as my figure. I'd take that 16 hours, I'd probably take off another hour and look at 15 hours as my point of of tiredness. Not point of no return, but certainly where you need to be thinking about the decisions you're making. Yeah. Um, but definitely a useful takeaway for, for, you know, people that drive late at night or perhaps do shift work and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. 100%. Um, really, really interesting. So uh, I mentioned pilots um, and napping. So napping hasn't been proven to improve uh, like cognitive ability later on in the day um, if you do it when you're already tired. But if you do it when you're, um, if you do it at the start of a long shift, you create a buffer so you can actually extend the period of time that you are awake for. And this was developed by uh, airlines and they they coined the phrase power nap because they wanted it to sound you know powerful and good and, and something we should do power naps um so if you have it at the start of a long shift versus at the end you get uh, a benefit at the end of the shift um having that early early nap so um they started off i've actually written it down they started off with planned napping that was what they first called it, planned napping. And then our, our term power nap came came from that. So there you go, fun fact for you. Just so, just so I'm clear on that, it's okay. If you nap when you're already tired, it doesn't benefit you. Is that what you're Correct, saying? yeah. So yeah. Your, your cognitive ability is not significantly improved. Right, so say you did like a 10-hour shift and had a nap and then went back to work. <laughs> So that's where we spoke about like with the driving, where you can do if you napped for an hour and a half, then waited an hour, then you'd get half an hour's benefit is what the research suggests. So, yes, it does. But it's 
it's not exactly fast acting. Not very efficient, yeah. Yeah, whereas if you took that hour and a half at the start, you could get an extended benefit without having to have that waiting period in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so better to do it at the start. Um, yeah, and then um, sort of moving on from this this idea, like when people get a bit cranky, um, perhaps a bit snappy, people are like, oh, they're just tired. Um, I get like that. Do you find yourself, you get like that sometimes? Yeah, I think that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> semi-permanent just, state <laughs> yeah just not very tolerant of people being stupid yeah i think when i'm driving that's when it really comes out um yeah total side note listen to a podcast on anger about how road rage um is linked really closely to like primal um anger uh stimulation but anyway so when you when you sleep um a full eight hours we have a good control over our emotional center and that's in the amygdala in our brain that's where our emotions come from um, and we're able to regulate that amygdala and when we have less than eight hours and again it's a slow deterioration from eight to six but six hours appears to be this this next uh, kind of cut off so if you're getting less than six hours um, this can be a one-off or consecutively you lose the ability to regulate your amygdala and that means that your emotions can kind of sway one way or the other we can't control it so if something basically just a chimp yeah um what's it, steven pieces yeah chimp yeah yeah the book we spoke about last week with, with tom that i didn't like and and you both really did didn't you <laughs> yeah um yeah so we, we basically go back to this unregulated emotional um kind of primal brain state where we can become well we, we do overreact we react in a very strong fashion to things that we would not normally do because we don't have the control over this uh, emotional center in our brain and and again i think that's just like a really nice thing to hear that when you do feel yourself getting that way it's actually i suppose in a way it's not your fault that your brain is responding that way it might be your fault that you haven't slept but it's not your fault that your brain does that to you as a result of it yeah um, the road rage is a really interesting one though like i used to battle with that a lot especially with that commute to bath and back every day yeah and after about a year i can't remember what changed but it was something like why would you let that one thing ruin potentially your whole day yeah like just literally let it go and just carry on with your drive yeah there's and some that. nice analogies about it like if you get a crack in your phone screen you don't then hit it with a hammer um, yeah. <laughs> like you don't ruin the whole thing just because of that little bit um but we've sort of gravitated this is the, the negativity bias kicking in there we've gravitated to the negative emotions but this reduction in um the control of our emotions isn't it doesn't push us to negative and hold us there it can swing both ways and it can increase our our desire for um like pleasurable experiences as well so we can engage in more risk-taking behaviors as a result of fatigue so um like addiction becomes a lot more likely uh in people that don't sleep uh properly for an extended period of time because they are after this constant um dopamine hit that they're struggling to get elsewhere so i think that probably links actually to social media as well and this idea of just endless scrolling you know, you're constantly getting that micro dose of dopamine at the expense of sleep. And the more you're tired, the more you require, and it's giving you these little bits and it's just an ongoing um, negative spin. So um, 
yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that it didn't have to be a negative thing, but it can push you to more risk-taking behaviours as well to get a positive. Yeah. Here's an interesting one. Thomas Edison did a lot of cocaine. Did so, he? Yeah, and he used to start really late working. So we've got cocaine to thank for the light bulb. <laughs> I didn't think that was going to come up today. Yeah, you just don't get content on this on any other podcast. No, do you? you don't. It's, it's yeah. bloody brilliant. Um, so to go further into that and look at another mental health condition is bipolar. And, and for those that don't know, that's kind of an extreme version of what I've spoken about, where people can be in a neutral state, but they can also go into um, a highly depressed state or uh, what's known as a manic state, uh, which is the, the exact opposite of that. And it's not it's not proven that lack of sleep can increase bipolar disorder but it is linked people with bipolar do also have sleep issues so it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario um, with the cause and effect of that but what was interesting to come out of this was that when people who suffer from bipolar were in a stable condition mentally um, poor sleep could send them down into that um, that serious depressive episode and it had the ability to trigger that so even if it's not causing it it can uh, seriously harm and seriously uh, extend or increase the i don't know the ferocity of these conditions i suppose is is the best word that's a good word yeah um carrying on i got quite into this um this the psychology of it in terms of our immune system and our brain health and it was a really incredible stat um really sad statistic that one in 10 adults over the age of 65 suffers from alzheimer's did you know that yeah i knew it was high yeah i didn't know it was that high um, yeah. so what they're looking at now is is sleep in early detection so alzheimer's and dementia are very closely linked with sleep and they're beginning to see in studies now that people with poor sleep habits earlier on in life particularly through the the mid part of their life the sort of 40s um sort of mid 30s to mid 40s if you have poor sleep patterns then that can significantly increase your chances of developing alzheimer's at a later condition uh, a later time in your life now the issue with that is that i guess i'm going to stereotype and generalize um massively here that that tends to be if you're going to have children like roughly when you have young kids so your sleep is screwed by lifestyle choices and i find that really weird given we spoke about nrem and rem sleep and how that's helped us from an evolutionary point of view that having children which is i guess what every um, species is designed to do absolutely screws us for later life i find that a, a weird evolutionary um point yeah yeah it's a weird one but i suppose during the night young kids wake up every three hours don't they yeah so i guess maybe that's kind of where that 90 minutes come from like if you're having to get woken up every 90 minutes or three hours yeah pure speculation but it's logical yeah i suppose it is logical um I'm excited to come back to this topic when we're still doing the pod in a few years' time and see if anyone's looked into that based on what you just said. <laughs> well, let's get it in now. You've credited it. Yeah, does Matthew Walker not listen to this podcast? <laughs> well, well, I send him a should do, shouldn't he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so 
when when sleep deprived there are ways that we can measure the impact that it's having on our brain and they do this through amyloid deposits and it's basically like a, a build-up of i guess think of it like plaque on your teeth um it is probably the best way to do it in that sleep can cleanse amyloid in the same way that cleaning your teeth can get rid of plaque and so what is amyloid it is a you put me on the spot here i'm going to go with a hormone uh, it's a chemical that is deposited it's it's produced as a result of poor sleep so it's a, a brain chemical yeah. um and we it, it's natural to have it and it's absolutely fine that it's in the brain and it's part of that that sleep or lack of sleep that tiredness process like having adenosine we also have amyloid uh there and then the problem with it is if we don't sleep it stays and if you impair sleep so in older people where we see this impaired sleep um it gets rid of the nrem um first so we lose that ability to have a proper deep sleep and that's sort of accelerating brain aging so we're going you know you could be a an otherwise healthy 65 year old but you could have a an older brain in inverted commas based yeah. on these deposits because of, of poor sleep habits um and they think that this these amyloid deposits are the the key indicator for uh early onset of alzheimer's and early detection of alzheimer's so that i think it's quite exciting research because you can have this early detection early intervention whereas before that was not possible um and again i, I like the way that um sleep is at the heart of this uh, and it has the ability to to save us from our own mistakes i suppose in a way um yeah it's brilliant um and with with this the there was a, a nice analogy given in one of the papers i was re reading that these um glial cells they're called glial cells they are like the cleaners so it works similar to the lymphatic system but the glial cells work in the brain and they generate electrical impulses to like clear out amyloid and just other gunk and crap around the brain and if you think of it like a ball pen um like you know those ball pits that you had when you were a little kid yeah. so all those balls are really tight tightly packed together because um, there's loads of amyloid so there's less space for these glial cells to do what they do so if we can remove some of the or reduce the amyloid by sleeping more there's more space for these glial cells to get close to our brain and send these electrical impulses and help us like maintain a healthy brain so not only is amyloid bad because it has that impact on our NREM sleep it's also bad because it stops the cleanup process um yeah so there you go um that was kind of my I did end up in a bit of a hole uh, on Alzheimer's and dementia um, and, and sleep and kind of that brain health. So, yeah, um, when when going into that, it sort of led into the heart attack stuff, like you were saying before. And uh, short sleep was associated with 45% greater risk of facial and non-facial coronary heart disease. Yeah, I forgot it was 45%. Yeah, 45%. Um, and that's people sleeping less than six hours um versus people sleeping seven to seven point nine hours so yeah. yeah i mean that's that, pretty huge from from all of the stats that you've discussed it seems that below six hours is really where things start to get bad 
Is it like yeah. six six to eight is not as good as above eight, but it's not as detrimental as as below six. Yeah. Um, and then in addition to that, I think this is where you might know a little bit more than me, but there's basically suppression of growth hormone as well. So when we're in this fatigue state, we we stop um, producing as much growth hormone, um, which can cause issues with our blood vessels, um, which l- links to uh, heart disease and heart attack. But growth hormone as well plays an important part in in muscle uh, development and, and replenishment and, and kind of repair, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So if you're, yes, sleep, there's this big fad around recovery at the moment, and we're actually going to do an episode on it. But people are doing ice baths and compression garments and all sorts of all sorts of fads to try and improve their recovery. But really, the only two things you can do are eat a high protein diet, um, eating in a calorie surplus, which helps recovery as well, and um, sleeping. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Like outside of those things, I don't think you can meaningfully impact recovery in any way. Yeah. And and when it comes to that that kind of growth hormone element and we think about weight management and you've spoken before about how in a sleep deficient state we lose muscle faster than we lose fat. Yeah. Uh, it it changes something called your RER respiratory exchange ratio. So if you if you're in a um sleep deprived state, you'll you'll use muscle as a as a fuel instead of fat um so you if you're in a deficit you'll lose weight in both scenarios but if you're in a deficit and not sleeping you'll lose it from lean body mass if you're in deficit and getting enough sleep you'll lose more fat mass and it's energy balance so in both scenarios you'll lose the same amount of weight just one will be more from muscle mass instead of fat mass yeah but i i went on to do a bit of research on uh, and actually heard this from ross edgley uh, before um, so sort of started with his his books and, and and went from there that the like you say it's energy balance it's calories in calories out but actually managing that energy balance becomes harder in a sleep deprived state so we've got two kind of main hormones to do with food leptin and ghrelin and i'm going to get this the wrong way around um I think ghrelin is the hunger hormone. Yeah, ghrelin is the hunger hormone. So when you've got lots of ghrelin in your system, you feel hungry. When you've got lots of leptin, you feel satiated and you don't feel hungry and hunger is suppressed. When you are sleep deprived, not only do you have more ghrelin, so you feel more hungry, you also have less leptin. So even when you've eaten, you don't get that same kind of hunger suppression. So we end up overeating. And that is something that I absolutely do um, in terms of like portion control and and eating habits. When I'm tired, it it has in the past just gone completely out of the window. So knowing that you're fighting that battle and knowing that having a good sleep can help um, you on your kind of nutrition and weight loss journey, I think is a really important factor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and then once again, uh, I don't think there's a single topic where microbiome don't come up anymore. Um, I still don't know what microbiome are. I haven't really found a complete definition but um good sleep i thought it was just that this might be from that acting advert. i thought it was just um the bacteria in your gut yeah well i think it is but that just sounds when people say there are so many different millions of them that just sounds way too generic to me yeah i think that's what it is though is that it and i'm just overthinking it maybe it just sounds sciencey doesn't it microbiome <laughs> If it sounds sciencey, it must be correct. 
Yeah. Um, I think all it is is the bacteria in your gut. But, you know, they they um, they found p- more bad bacteria um, festered throughout your microbiome, is the quote that I've taken. Um, and insufficient sleep can stop the absorption of all food. Not Sorry, not all food, but all food becomes uh, less likely to be absorbed, um, which can cause gastrointestinal problems as well. So sleep has that that ability and and we've we've spoken about and and kind of um found a bit of research on gut health and and psychological health and well-being and things like that so the the kind of gut brain axis is is whether you understand what microbiome um or not like me i think the (laughs) the evidence is irrefutable that there is a relationship between the gut and the brain yeah yeah um and so we're going to talk about we're going to talk about sex for a little bit, um, not specifically oh, yeah? sex, but more, more about sex hormones. Now, I this was from a, a fertility perspective. This study and they were looking at fertility issues in otherwise healthy uh, young um, people who were who were trying to get pregnant, and they they took. Uh, people who weren't trying to to have children uh, and they gave them five hours sleep a night for one week and the circulating testosterone um it crashes your testosterone yeah so it aged them by 10 to 15 years in terms of testosterone production one week of bad sleep made you 15 years older in terms of that um which is absolutely mental um and it was then reported that having a poor quality of sleep have 29% lower sperm counts than those obtaining a full and restful sleep. So not only do you have lower testosterone, you've also got lower sperm counts. Um, and there was the another side for women where um, there was a drop in the follicular releasing hormones. So menstrual cycle could become, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not uneven, like irregular. irregular. Um, yeah. And that, that's critical in terms of like, um, like pre-ovulation, that follicular hormone is, is present, but then if it's not present and, and then things don't happen at the right time. So, you know, you can have a 20% drop in that, a 29% lower sperm count. I don't know if the maths quite works like this, but to me that works out a 49% reduced opportunity of of producing children and being able to reproduce and then you couple that with the fact that there are lower testosterone levels as well um all of a sudden you've gone from age 35 to age 50 in a week um and obviously if that's not going to get any better if you remain sleep deprived so i thought that was um i thought that was interesting um i i wouldn't say that it's an area that i've done huge amounts of research into but from what i have looked at as a result of this um it's it's under research and under advertised the impact that sleep can have on fertility risk um yeah. you know women are 80 percent more likely to suffer um issues like in terms of reduction of the ability to get pregnant when routinely sleeping less than six hours a night 80 percent 80 percent more likely um more and also uh, in addition to that when they're routinely sleeping less than eight hours a night more likely to have a miscarriage in the first trimester yeah you know so this is irrefutable data i think there's there's an element of cause and effect here but when there's so many numbers to support one conclusion um perhaps it's biased perhaps it's not but 
it does certainly uh, speak to the fact that sleep and reproduction are, are hugely important. And if we think about where we started as, um, you know, we first came down from the trees and, and we we're reproducing, we obviously needed that sleep and that REM sleep. And if we weren't doing that, we weren't able to reproduce as effectively. So we needed to be able to have that that proper deep sleep. Yeah. Yeah, going back to the testosterone thing, if you like TRT, testosterone replacement therapy is getting really popular. But it's, it's for those kind of stuff, like people see it as an easy fix. Oh, my testosterone is low, but you're probably not sleeping well enough, which is like a really easy fix to get your testosterone back into the reference range. Um, but yeah, the the not and the knock-on effects of having low testosterone, brain fog, all of that stuff um, stemming from a lack of sleep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and that's that i think we've covered quite a lot today um that that's kind of where i i got to um in terms of this episode there were links with cancer as well and our body's ability to fight cancer cells when they were first produced um so a single night of four hours sleep so if you went to bed at three in the morning and got up at seven um you're only getting away so you get rid of 70 percent of your your killer cells your immune system um which help fight cancer uh, and other things as well, of course. Um, so, you know, one bad night's sleep and you've lost 70% of that ability. Yeah. I've got that term in ages, killer cells. Yeah, I know. It, it was a real throwback, actually. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that, that was interesting. And then what what I also liked, and, and to have this kind of affirmation amongst other topics that we've had, that when we link it back to heart disease and coronary problems that um, it's because we're being held in this this sympathetic state this state of kind of constant uh, alertness this constant fight or flight uh, state that we're not designed to be in our bodies have that ability to run away from a lion and then chill out it's like um what was your book the zebras don't get ulcers no uh, zebras don't get ulcers yeah yeah, so they, they run away and then they're immediately calm, whereas we're never fully switched off anymore. Uh, and because of this poor sleep, we're held in the sympathetic state, which kind of compounds so many of those issues. Um, but the two of the main things that can help reduce that were good sleep and meditation. So, you know, if you didn't already believe that we're bloody good at talking about good things on this podcast, you should you should leave it now. <laughs> I had a really good quote on my headspace today, so you can see if I can find it. No pressure, it better be really good. I bet it's gone now. Oh, it was such a good quote. I think I've lost it. Oh, heartbreak. Yeah, it's not going to pop up. Did I screenshot it? Anyway, yeah, carry on. <laughs> oh, I, just, no. I screenshotted it. Here we go. Here we go. I don't actually know if this is relevant for today's podcast. I think it is. Go for it. About the road range and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Clear my throat. <laughs> Closed mind versus open mind. Curious mind versus opinionated mind. There's always a choice. Yeah. It's a good quote, uh, isn't it? Open, closed, curious versus opinionated. Yeah. But it, it links back to what you were saying about, well, provided you get enough sleep, you've always got a choice because you can control your amygdala I'm not sure how accurate that sentence is but yeah 
<laughs> I think it's, it's it's pretty close. Um, it is pretty close. We don't let it we don't let it run riot, and you know, that's probably a, a good place to to leave our listeners today. Um, but just to, uh, to sort of sum up briefly, we, we touched again on on memory um, and how our our body has the ability to not just retain information but clear out uh, disinformation or unnecessary information. Uh, in addition to that, the the kind of learning of motor skills can be cemented overnight. So you can't do something one evening, but you can do it the next day because your body continues to learn while you're sleeping. Um, huge impact on um, your body's immune system in terms of coronary heart disease, uh, in terms of brain, uh, psychiatric, psychological disorders, Alzheimer's, bipolar, um, and then emotional kind of suppression as well, or emotional regulation su- suppression. So we're unable to regulate hormones, which um, suppress that ability to, to regulate the emotion, which causes us to either go through periods of, of depression or can push us towards um, like thrill-seeking behaviours or risk-taking behaviours, which you know can lead to substance abuse and things like that in the extremes. Um, and if yeah. it's really extreme, you might make a light bulb. Yeah, if it's really extreme, you might make a light bulb. <laughs> um, um, nice summary. Thanks. Yeah, and it was a nice, profound quote as well from you at the end. So. Yeah. Enjoy. So all in all, it's been a fantastic episode. Yeah. Once um, again. <laughs> we've yeah. Next week we've got a guest on again, haven't we? We do. Yeah. Uh, we're going to hold this close. Um, but it's going to come out on our social media in the next couple of days. But we're excited. We've got a guest on um, who's going to come and talk to us, a uh, professional sportswoman. Um, and we're very excited about it. No, we'll leave it at that then. Yeah. Thanks all for listening and tune in next week for that episode of our um, professional sports person guest. <laughs>